You're listening to a podcast from Turners Hill Free Church. For more information and resources, visit turnershillfreechurch.org.uk. At the beginning of Luke's Gospel, Mary is told that the Holy Spirit will come upon her and the power of the Most High will overshadow her, uh, which is the Annunciation. Uh, so that's the, it's talking about the conception of Christ. And here in today's passage, we have something of a parallel to that, the kind of second annunciation spoken to the apostles and over the church. Um, and he says to them that they will receive the promised, the, the thing the Father promised, the gift the Father promised, the Holy Spirit and power. And there's a parallel, a parallel there. The church will be born at Pentecost. And this is a kind of a, a parallel annunciation, if you like. And there's a, there's a contrast between these two pictures as well as a parallel. The second promise is not being made to a surprised young woman at the threshold of marriage. But symbolically, it is being made, if you like, to the people of Israel. A kind of long promised, almost uh, the fulfilment of a, a weary promise that's been carried over generations and generations. That God's love is going to, his salvation is going to spill out of the nation of Israel, into the whole world. So this is a really significant moment in salvation history. God wants us, I think, just through this, little, this parallel, to be aware of these two pictures of women. We find pictures of uh, women typologically in the Bible in lots of different places. And often it is the young, pure uh, Jewish bride, like Mary. She's not the, the first one mentioned in Scripture. But it's also the, the, the typology we find in Scripture of the woman who cannot have children, often in old age, who is given children miraculously. And you can think of you know, quite a few examples, just as I say that, if you like. And there is a fulfilment here of that promise to the one once barren who will now have children. This is that moment that Isaiah spoke of in Isaiah 54, that beautiful uh, prophetic passage singing about the, the age of the Messiah, seeing barren woman. You who never bore a child, burst into song. Shout for joy, you who were never in labour. Enlarge the place of your tent. It's it's preparing for this fruitfulness that's to come. In fact, do you know what? If you don't take anything else away from my sermon today, you will, but if you don't, read Isaiah 54, because that is the heart of what the Lord would bring to us as a church this morning, I think. So, in the context of the passage... The disciples, you know, are on the cusp of this incredible new era when the love of God is going to pour out, as we just heard from that reading and Acts, he has granted salvation even unto the Gentiles. And just, uh, it's just amazing. Can you, you, uh, the disciples couldn't have had a clue, could they, really? Before, I mean, he says salvation will go out to all the nations beginning at Jerusalem. But can you imagine getting your head around that? From their perspective, this thing that has just happened, they've just encountered the risen Lord. They're just getting over the shock of, uh, uh, of the Lord Jesus being resurrected from the dead. And then there's this promise that this message, that they're, they're only just beginning to understand, is going to burst forth and fill the whole world with the knowledge and the glory of God. With children for God's kingdom. With nation upon nation upon nation. You know, and just, I just think it's worth even that just reflecting for us at the moment. But we are here 
because of this day. And they were, they were just beginning to see that. Um, St. Augustine says about this passage, he says, this is the, the head of the church revealing the body of the church, sort of talking prophetically, you know, in a way that they probably couldn't really understand, but saying the church is going to be over the whole world. And let me just say this, just to get us going and get us into the right space for what God wants to say to us this morning. If you this morning know the Lord Jesus Christ, you are his long-looked-for child. Did you know that? That he has set his love upon you before the foundation of the world. That he longed to know you. He desired to know your heart, desired to bring you close to him. He, he knew how precious you were even before you were born and delighted in your birth and every day of your life. He's looked upon you as a father and as you've known him, he's delighted to know you more and more. He delights in you. He rejoices over you. He rejoices over you. And if, you, if you're not a Christian, if you don't know that for yourself, there is a father, as a God, you're made in his image. You're made for a relationship with him. He's got a plan for your life. He loves you so much. Uh, already he loves you and he longs for you to know his love. He longs to bring you into relationship with him. And this, this, this is a moment in history. And yet it's like, it's like, a, big, it's like a, a point on a big map of the whole of time. But you, you individually, by name, are called into that moment. Your, your fate, your destiny is bound up with that, with what God is doing right here in this passage. Isn't that wonderful? God is so, so good. The big picture and the small, isn't it? Well, the message that really the Lord put in my heart was that picture from Isaiah 54. And I think he's got a challenge for us this morning, really, that just to remind us from this passage, which is essentially Luke's great commission. We often think of Matthew's, you know, go and make disciples of all nations, but it's the great commission. But this is Luke's great commission. And, and I think God wants to bring us a challenge this morning and to remind us that the, it's the very nature of the church to bear children from, for God. Does that sound too weird or is that okay? Can I just, or do I have to explain it again? It's the very nature of the church to bear children for God. That we're actually here to bring, you know, just to put it in more everyday language, to bring people into relationship with God, to see them born again, to re- see them regen- regenerated, adopted, and brought into God's family. It's in our very nature to bring forth children of God. And I think God would remind us this morning through this passage that that our relationship with him, the things that we value in him, the the joy that we take in our relationship with him, the the closeness, the the way that we feel treasured by him and the way we treasure him is not the full stop. That's not the the terminus at which the, the train of the gospel ends. In fact, it doesn't end. It goes on and on into a fruitful life that brings salvation to other people. God wants us to be a church that preaches the gospel. Is that plain enough? God wants us to be a church that preaches the gospel and sees it as just the core of who we are. Yes. And you know, on a, just on a specific level for us as a church, I think God wants to turn us outward. You know, this isn't like generic preaching from this passage. Like, I wouldn't preach this at any church. I think God wants to speak to us specifically. And I, want, I think he wants to say, I want to turn you outward. 
I think he wants to say to Turner's Hill Free Church, rejoice, O barren woman. You who are childless, make, you know, draw wide your tent, prepare for what God is going to do. If we listen to him today, he will, he, he, he's going to do amazing things. If we listen to him today, and if we receive what he's going to say to us today, he is going to do amazing things. So there's a, a few things that, just as I was praying and thinking about what to, to bring out of this passage, a few things that I, I feel are key in what God wants to do in us at the moment. And um, they, they may sound specific, I hope they don't sound so specifically like, oh, this, you know, the plan is too detailed. But you know what? Actually, I, I do think God is giving us specific things to do. And the first thing is this. I think God is calling us, God is calling you and me, to a revival in your love of Scripture, in your love of the Bible. I think he wants us to have a, a kind of a jubilee year of immersing ourselves in God's Word. And do you know what? I, I don't even mean like, Bible study as such, although that is a good thing and he wants us to do it. But I just think there's something about a love for his word that he wants to bring back into our lives. A, a, a love for his word that, yes, brings us to Bible study, but it's more than that. It's like a magnetic draw to scripture. You know, have you ever had a time in your life when every time you saw a Bible on the side, you're like, oh, I, I just need to make some time to get alone with God's word and just spend some time with that. I can't wait to see what he's going to reveal to me through that. You ever had a time like that? Maybe you're going through a time like that now, but if you're not, God wants to bring that into your life again, just to be close to you through his word. The Bible is his love letter to the world and his love letter to us, and he speaks personally through it. You know, and it's it's, it's significant in verse 44 that uh, Jesus explains to the disciples that everything that has happened, Everything was fulfilled according to the law and the prophets and the Psalms. It's a specific phrase that covers all of Scripture. The law and the prophet and the Psalms. So that they know that this is where it's coming from. And God wants to say that the same thing to us. And the Scripture is, if we immerse ourselves in it, it has this power to align us with what God is doing. It's so incredibly powerful in that way. I, I was reminded of um, when in the, uh, the reign of King Josiah, who is one of the good kings listed in Two Chronicles. There's a moment when I think it's in his 16th year, when uh, he they're clearing out the precincts of the, of the temple at the time, uh, and uh, they discover the law of Moses that had been lost. And there's this great kind of uh, repentance and. Uh, celebration and enjoyment as, as uh, the king and his people and his, uh, they rediscover the law of Moses. But the one question that raises in our mind, for me, raises in my mind, is they've been worshipping God and doing all the things that the, the people of God were, were called to do. But by, by whose law? I mean, what were they doing when they were worshipping the temple? If they had to rediscover Moses' law, their lives were all over the place. And you know, King Josiah's reign was marked by calls to repentance. He had to go around you know, destroying temples to false gods because the people had lost uh, the word of God. And God would say to us, he wants us to be immersed in his word again, to be shaped 
by the way, shaped in the way that we think. Not just as a, like a textbook that we study. Not just to get doctrine, but actually to shape the way we think. He wants us to be swimming in it, so it shapes our patterns of thinking. You know, and there are themes in Scripture that if we spend time dev- in devotion, reading his word, again and again and again, there are themes that come through that shape the way we think, that, that align us with God's purposes. And you know, one of those purposes is to share the gospel. And if, if we're out of the root of Scripture, we will lose that impetus. You know, what else he says is, according, is uh, fulfilled according to Scripture. He told them, this is what is written, the Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. That's written. And, repent, uh, and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations. That is written. So when we go out and preach the gospel, we are fulfilling the word of God. And when we're immersed in the word of God, then we, we find ourselves drawn. Drawn to that purpose. We find ourselves reminded of it. Right from the beginning, you know, that promise to Abraham. That you'll be the father of many nations. That reminder again and again through the history of Israel, through the prophets, through the ministry of Jesus, through, you know, we've read that passage in Acts. Through all the way through this amazing message. I have chosen you, he says. I've chosen you, I've chosen you, I've chosen you. Why? To be a blessing to all people. To bring my glory and my salvation to the world. To fill it uh, with my love. So, let me just encourage you. This just really simple first point. I, I think God wants to bring to us. To renew your love of scripture. You know, you don't need me to tell you how to do that. But I would just encourage you, wherever you are at in terms of your relationship with the Bible right now, I want to encourage you to uh, make a decision right now to spend more time in God's Word. Will you do that? Spend more time in God's Word. I feel specifically that God is calling us to be in the habit of praying the Psalms is that too specific or is that okay? Praying the Psalms. You know, because the Psalms are the, prophetically speaking, they're the prayers of Christ. And when we pray them, it trains us to think like him. It draws us to him. It trains us to see the world the way he does. To see our enemies the way he does. To see, to see the lost the way he does. To see the poor the way he does. It draws us into his mind. And what we need more than anything is is the mind of Christ. We need him to open the word to us. So can I encourage you to do those things? Spend more time in scripture and make the Psalms a part of your prayer life. Pray one or two or three. However long you pray for, just work them in. Beginning, middle and end of your prayer time or something like that. And just ask God to open your eyes. And it's amazing, isn't it? There's this, this phrase, you could almost miss it. But then he opened their minds so that they could understand scriptures. And as you make that decision today, I want to encourage you to ask God, ask Jesus to open your mind to the scriptures. There's a way of reading the Bible that is just kind of surface. Even for Christians. You know, a non-Christian can read the Bible and they just, sometimes they just won't get it. Sometimes they'll be, you know, the Lord opens their minds and they can be converted almost without anyone speaking to them. But the same is true for Christians. We can read the Bible and it's just like, it can just kind of go over our heads or kind of straight through our hearts without changing anything. But we have to ask God, Lord, I want to, I want to know your heart in this. Jesus, would you open this word to me? 
And he will, he will. You know, I, was, um, I was, did a little bit of teaching this week for some of the trainees from Life in the Spirit. You know, some of you guys know. And um, there's a guy on the course called Joe, and he's been doing it for about a year. And just to see the transformation in this young man as he spent time in God's Word, and he just shared in the devotional time just this thing, this, what well, I think God opened his mind to scriptures in a way that perhaps he wasn't before. And he shared this. He, it was from um, Genesis 32 and Genesis 33. And it's when Jacob uh, meets the Lord and he says afterwards, I have, he names the place Penia, and he says, because I have seen the face of God. And then in the next chapter, he meets his, bro- his estranged brother Esau. And, uh, and after Esau welcomes him, uh, in, quite surpri- you know, in a quite surprising way, Jacob says, when I saw you, it was like seeing the face of God. And this young man, Joe, said, isn't this amazing? When we meet with God, we see other people the way God sees them. And I was like, that is the Lord opening your mind to scripture. Isn't that amazing? Just a young guy, hardly any training, and the Lord just gives him that insight. I just thought that was so beautiful. But he can do the same for every one of us. You don't have to be trained. You don't have to you know, go to Bible college. You don't... Just ask the Lord. Lord, open my mind to what you're saying. So... Let's have the mind of Christ. Let's be rooted in scripture so that we can be directed um, to the gospel. The second thing I think the Lord would say to us this morning through this is, I think he's calling us to have a new love of the, the, the gospel itself. What the Catholic Church called the kerygma, which you know how much I love obscure words. <laughs> But, you know, I think there's something special about calling this thing that I'm talking about something unique. Because the, the gospel, I think we can, you know, can seem a little vague sometimes. The kerygma is basically, it's like, it's like uh, the, the form of preaching that God gave to the church. It says, if you preach the gospel this way, you will see results. And if you like, Luke's kind of uh, account, his, his second book in the Bible, the book of Acts, is basically a demonstration of that. Because it's again and again and again, the apostles going out and doing what Jesus said. They preach repentance and the forgiveness of sins. Repentance and the forgiveness of sins. And I've preached about this, uh, I think, probably in the, last, in the last 12 months. But God has given us a way of presenting the truth about Jesus Christ that really gets to the heart of where people are at. It meets them where they are, because it meets them in their need, in their sin. Most people know deep down that they are lost to some degree. Almost all of you, I'm sure, have have experienced a time in your life where you've looked around and you've basically said, I am lost, I cannot do it on my own, you're stuck in some kind of sin or some kind of situation or something like that, and you know that you're lost. And a message of hope into the middle of that is going to make you listen, even if it comes from an unexpected source. Now, God, in his wisdom, and for lots of other reasons, has given us this method of preaching the gospel. And he wants us, in this next season, I believe, to be sharp. And already, uh, you know, um, Matt and Nick have encouraged us about this, being able to give our testimony. And certainly the scriptures tell us we should always be ready to give a reason for the hope that we have. But this is more than that. This is, I believe, there are going to be opportunities when... You know, yesterday at the men's breakfast, we had a, a couple of visitors, and that was good. I think there are going to be times when it's going to be a dozen or two dozen people that are going to be given a talk, Matt's going to be doing it or someone else, and there's going to be that moment they're going to be hanging on every word, waiting, 
give me the, the crux of the matter. And situations are going to come up, maybe at the bike ride, maybe at the summer fete, maybe, who, who knows, in your workplace, in your home life, or with your neighbours, where there are going to be opportunities, and people are going to ask you that question that you only ever hear about in evangelism training videos. Well, just tell me what you believe. <laughs> and it's actually going to happen. And God wants us to be sharp, as sharp as Jesus is with the disciples here, in knowing how to communicate with power the gospel. What is it? It's so simple, isn't it? It's what I said right at the beginning of the sermon. God loves you. He made you for relationship with him. He has a plan for your life. Sin has come between you and God. That's the bit when you know, people sit up and take notice. Because people know that's true. Sin has destroyed your relationship with God. But Jesus died on the cross to set you free. Through repentance and faith in Jesus, you can be forgiven and you can be set free and you can be filled with the Holy Spirit and live a new life. It's so simple. It's not everything that Christians believe. It's not the whole thing, but it's the sharp edge that cuts through So God wants us to be ready. So the third thing I think the Lord wants to speak to us about is I think he, he wants to recommission us as witnesses. Verse 48 says, you are witnesses of these things. You know, and I th- as well as this power from on high that we're going to speak about in a minute that, God, that the Lord clothed his disciples with, as well as all the, the teaching that he gave to them about the kingdom and about how to interpret his ministry and all those things, some amazing things. I think one key thing in the reason why the apostles were so effective in preaching the gospel, one thing that moved them so powerfully was that they personally witnessed the things that Jesus did. Do you agree? They personally witnessed the things that Jesus did. After Jesus, Judas betrays Jesus, in the first chapter of Acts, Peter says, we need to appoint one more uh, apostle. And so they, they, decide, they decide by lot to, uh, uh, to appoint Matthias. But they <coughs> narrow the group of people down that they're going to choose from on the, what criteria? It has to be someone who, was, who has been with us from the beginning, who has seen everything the ho- that the Lord Jesus did from the time of John the Baptist to the time when Jesus was taken up from us. They wanted someone who was a witness to the whole of Jesus' life. And this is something that I think the Lord would remind us of. There is nothing, nothing as powerful as your own personal witness to the gospel. You need to know in your own heart, what has God done for me? You need to have a feeling of its magnitude. You know, for, for me personally, you know, just to be honest with you, sharing the gospel can be hard for lots of reasons. You know, you feel awkward, or you feel like you're intruding on someone, or you feel like the time isn't right, or whatever it is. But there was a time in my life when sharing the gospel with people was awkward because I wasn't experiencing the benefits of it. I'll be honest with you. Because I was living in disobedience to God. 
Although I knew him as my saviour, I wasn't walking as he walked. And so I wasn't experiencing the joy and the freedom of the Son of God. And so what's the, what is the effect of that? I'm never going to overcome those petty fears to share the gospel with someone when I don't really live it or believe it or experience those benefits for ourselves, for, for myself. And, and I think God would challenge us on this specific point. And actually, I, I remember back in September, I, I, I felt like this is a word specifically for us as a church. That if you want to be evangelistic as a church, you've got to be enjoying the gospel yourself. And I think God would speak to some people specifically here today that actually you're not enjoying being a Christian. Now, you know, it's not, it's not like prosperity gospel. Like you've got to have an easy life. But even if you're going through you know, persecution, I don't think any of us are going through the kind of persecution that's spoken about in the Bible. But just in case, even if you're going through persecution, or even if you're going through trials and sufferings, there has to be some kind of deep contentment, assurance and joy in God. Now, I I believe the Lord would bring that word to us, not to condemn in any way someone who's struggling in their faith. But what he's saying is, let that be a guide to you. My burden is light. My yoke is easy, says the Lord. And if the way you're living the Christian life is making you anxious, stressed, overwhelmed, then he wants to redirect you into his peace, into his rest, into his shalom, to let you sit down by quiet waters and refresh your soul. So this isn't kind of fix yourself, and then you'll be able to to tell the gospel, Lord, it's recognised where you are, Recognize the symptoms and then come to the great physician and say, Lord, heal me. Show me how to live a, a life where I want to share what I've got. You know, Matt said uh, yesterday um, in the men's breakfast talk, he said, I don't know uh, what I'd be like if it wasn't for Jesus. That is a good place to be. To be reminded of that. I don't know what I'd be like if it wasn't for Jesus. Think about that for a minute. Think about that for a minute. Where would you be? How quickly we forget. And he'd remind us of his benefits. And he'd say, look how much I've done for you. Think upon it again. Let it fill you up again. What are those natural traits, those natural sins, the things that came so easily that would steer you away from him and steer you away from goodness that would lead your life into ruin and wreckage? We'd be shipwrecked, wouldn't we? We'd be just lost Lost because of the things people have done to us. Lost because of the things we've done to ourselves. Because of the choices we make. And he wants, to, he wants to remind us, this is the joy of the gospel. Look at what you have. But if what you have is not bringing you that peace, then come to me. Let me give you that joy. Give you that rest. Give you that peace. So that you're so filled with the, the knowledge of me that you won't be able to hold back. You want to share with everybody. I promise the Lord, all he wants is sincerity, isn't it? 
Just that kind of, just that openness to him where we come to him and say, Lord, you said it was going to be good. It's not very good. What am I doing wrong? You know, am I misunderstanding something? And he just loves to answer those honest prayers. He just loves it when we seek him truly. So if you're in that place, just be encouraged. Be encouraged and come to him. And he'll lead you, firstly, into freedom and joy, and then into fruitfulness and sharing your faith with others. Fourthly, lastly, I think the Lord would... I think he'd call us to recognise. But you know what I've written down? I've, I've said he'd call us to ask for and wait upon his power. He'd call us to wait for his power, like he did with the disciples. But you know actually what I think is, I think he just wants us to see what we do here on a Sunday slightly differently. And I should have just written that down instead. <laughs> I think he just wants us to reconfigure ever so slightly. Well, actually, radically, but it's only a small <laughs> change of mindset. You know, what our meetings with him are for. So I think this is the heart of he wants to turn us outwards. You know, when um, uh, Moses handed over his leadership to Joshua, he laid hands on him and he imparted his spirit, the spirit that the Lord had given to Moses, to Elijah. You can, you can read about that in the Bible. When Elijah was taken up into to heaven, he left behind his cloak, the cloak of the prophet, and Elijah picked it up and he took on the cloak of Elijah. And then he was clothed with the spirit that Elijah had. A double portion. And Jesus here is he's tapping into that when he tells the disciples, go and wait to be clothed with power. He, he's, he's reminding you of Moses and Joshua. He's reminding you of Elijah and Elisha. And he's saying, the same spirit that was upon me is upon you. Now, what, what is that spirit? The spirit to perform miracles? Yes. Spirit to do am- amazing signs and wonders? Yes, if God gives us those things, he gives that gift to the whole church. And we have a right to ask him and expect him to see those things. But that spirit that proclaims more than those things, it proclaims freedom to the captives. Proclaims the year of jubilee. Proclaims the favour of the Lord. So this passage is looking, it, it, it speaks to us like an analogy, really, go and wait in Jerusalem is like a, it's a figure of the church. You know, Jerusalem is it's the center of that, 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 that spiritual identity of the church. Go and gather together in the church. Wait upon me for power. Gather together, pray together, share together, love each other. Be filled with the Spirit of God together. He wants us to do that. We come to church to encounter Christ. To be filled with the Spirit and to be drawn into the life of the Father. And words cannot do that justice, what God wants to do in us when we meet together. And all, we cannot set our expectations too high when we gather together for church. No matter what our experience of it, no matter how we perceive it, we should be coming like, I'm going to meet with a trying God today. We should have communion with him. But the Lord will remind us today, that if it ends with communion, our relationship is not fruitful. It is not what he intended. It's sterile. It's empty. It's barren. 
Uh, I had a picture of... Um, I was reminded of a, a guy I knew once who'd grown up in a certain type of church who they had a belief in uh, predestination, which is in the Bible. It's fine. We can talk about that at length and detail and complexity another time. Um, however you understand it. But their particular belief in predestination, their particular belief in predestination led them to believe that the gospel should only be preached in a church building. And what they would do is at the beginning of their service, once everyone had arrived, they would lock their doors. And they preached the gospel to whoever was there, and guess who was there? Just the people who were members of the church. And at the end of the service, they would unlock the doors. I mean, you know, fire safety is another issue, but anyway. You know, this is it. <laughs> They'd lock their doors. And they preached the gospel to themselves. A friend of mine uh, called, uh, I spoke to recently, called it the um, museum curator model of evangelism. <laughs> Just you take the gospel out of a drawer once a week and you get it out and you dust it off and you show it and everyone goes, oh wow, it's so nice that we have that. And then you put it away again. <laughs> we have to understand that the, the reason for this spectacular, life-changing, joy-giving, peace-filling, <laughs> hope-inducing communion that we have with God when we worship him and all the benefits of our salvation are for the fruit of the gospel to see people drawn into the kingdom. You know, when Jesus, he, cleared the, he cleansed the temple and he spoke these words, he says, my house is a house of prayer for the nations and you've turned it into a den of thieves. And I do believe there's a heavy warning there that we mustn't ignore from the Lord. We are in de- we're a long way off from being a den of thieves. But we are in danger of being on the same road that leads to that. Leads to, at best, inward-looking, sterile faith. At worst, it leads to idolatry, selfishness, blindness. You know, there's another figure of a woman in the Bible that's repeated again and again, and it's the prostitute. She's the one who's utterly rejected God. He's rejected the fruitfulness of relationship with God and desires to use the things of God for her own glory. God would warn us from afar, you know, we're far from that, but he would turn us away and say, don't become that inward-looking, self-serving, self-glorifying church. Instead, ask me. Ask me for fruitfulness. Ask me for children. Let's pray.